You're listening to World Class from the Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies at Stanford University. In this podcast series, we bring international affairs expertise from Stanford's campus straight to you. My name is Cheney Kouroniotis, and I handle communications here at FSI. One of our research centers, Stanford Health Policy, focuses on domestic and global policies that affect human health. I'm speaking today with Dr. Paul Wise, the Richard E. Behrman Professor of Child Health and Society at Stanford Health Policy, and Dr. Lisa Chamberlain, an Associate Professor of Pediatrics at Stanford Medicine. In their work, they both address health inequality and how to best deal with the healthcare needs of children around the world. Today, we're going to talk about children's healthcare. It makes up a very small portion of overall healthcare spending in the U.S., but those children who do get very sick tend to need a lot of care, and their individual costs are very high. Both Medicaid and private insurance are geared towards adult needs, and the public dialogue we're having about healthcare right now isn't really addressing how to provide for children's care specifically. So let's start off with some basics for our listeners who aren't physicians. How are children's health care needs different from those of adults? Well, kids' health needs are a reflection of the fundamental epidemiology of childhood. That is, most kids, unlike most elderly, are relatively well. However, there is a significant portion, probably around 10%, who have significant health needs. In older populations, that implies that if I were to have a heart attack, a guy my age or have a heart attack, most community hospitals will be able to handle it pretty well. But when was the last time that they saw a child with a severe chronic disorder? Probably once every six months to two years. That difference in the epidemiology of childhood has meant that child health systems have had to concentrate kids who are particularly ill or kids who are severely injured into facilities that are especially set up to take good care of them. They have the proper nursing care, physicians with experience, equipment, and systems of care that attend specifically to the health needs of kids. That requirement for concentrating children has turned into, over the last 40 years, systems of referral for children with serious health problems and concentrating them to relatively small numbers of health facilities. In adults, there is far less reason um, that it's far less requirement that uh, adults are concentrated in special care facilities. Health policies have been built for children to support these kinds of uh, child health systems that are financing mechanisms, particularly Medicaid, have been constructed to facilitate, if not insist, on these kinds of complex referral systems for childhood. In adults, in the adult world, you don't need those kinds of systems. You don't need those kinds of policies. You don't need those kinds of financing mechanisms. The problem now is that health policy in the United States has turned into cost containment policy. And where are the costs? They are in adults and the elderly. So the complete focus has been on adult and elderly health care policies. The problem is when you start applying adult health policy to child, childhood, to children's needs, you begin to see the unraveling of modern pediatric care. And that's really what's at stake at this time. 
Dr. Chamberlain, is this something you also come across in your work in pediatrics? Yeah, uh, I'm a general pediatrician, and so I take care of a blend of children who are well and thriving, some kids who are physically well but struggling with uh, meeting some of their basic needs. Uh, and then I have a the 10% that, that Paul mentions, the children who have medical problems, challenges, and uh, uh, we work to connect them to the specialty center here at Stanford uh, so that they can get the care that they need. So it really is... Um, you know, depending on the room you're walking into in clinic, uh, you're going to need a really different skill set, uh, whether or not you're dealing with a child whose family is facing hunger and food insecurity and rising rents and they're struggling with some basic needs versus a child with, um, you know, cystic fibrosis who uh, needs to get back access into a specialty care center. So it's really a wide range of, of need that we have to meet. So following on this question, we've identified some of the ways in which children's care needs are very different. So how is this reflected in their insurance needs? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, about half the kids in the country are covered by public programs and about half by private insurance. And so uh, we do have this split based on uh, socioeconomic status and income status. Um, but regardless, because of the epidemiology Paul spoke of, any child in either of those groups that sick needs to have access to these specialty care centers or we're going to get very different outcomes. So if a child is diagnosed with leukemia uh, in, in a family that is on public insurance versus a child with private insurance, they both need care at the same site. Uh, they, again, have a regionalized system of care to build that volume so that we have good outcomes. So very unlike the adult system, um, it is not segregated in terms of payer type, in terms of the uh, type of insurance that you have. Uh, so in the children's insurance world, uh, the care is really uh, integrated. So in other words, rich kids' care and high-quality care is quite dependent upon a public system that is functioning well. Dr. Wise, any follow-up on that before we start talking about uh, the proposed new uh, scope of Medicare and Medicaid? Sure. The critical thing to remember right off the bat is that uh, children are the poorest segment of the American population. Um, and this is uh, of historic consequence. In the history of our country, poverty has never been more concentrated in childhood than it is today. So when we talk about public programs and Medicaid, we need to recognize that kids are really poor. About one in five kids are uh, below the poverty line or hovering right above it. Um, and when we talk about public insurance, we need to remember that kids are poor. The second thing is because serious illness and serious injury is relatively rare in childhood, the requirement of concentrating the kids into these high-quality specialty care uh, settings through organized policies that support these referral systems means that both rich and poor kids are dependent on the quality of services at the same facility. Bottom line, if you want to kill rich kids, cut Medicaid. Why? Because the facilities that wealthy kids, well-insured kids, uh, will need to go to to take care of significant problems, like if they get cancer, if they're hit by a car, going to those facilities, those facilities are dependent, heavily dependent, on reimbursement through public programs like Medicaid. It isn't a two-system um, 
way of delivering care anymore for childhood, that the requirement for a significant volume of patients in specialty care facilities has meant that the systems have largely merged for kids with serious problems. And because of that, um, when you start cutting Medicaid for kids, you're also cutting potentially the quality of services for all children uh, throughout the whole child health system. So let me um, emphasize a little bit that point because I think it's something that would be rather counterintuitive to most people who think about this, that cutting uh, the health care support for children of lower incomes actually may uh, cut the services for children in higher income families. So what you're saying essentially is that because their needs are so unique and because the care is so specialized, if the demand for it in the sense of government support for these procedures and for this care is taken away because we're no longer providing it at the public level, then the the supply of it, the facilities and the doctors who specialize it may also be unavailable for higher income children in the United States? The, the quality of those facilities depend on their financial stability. And uh, a large portion of all children's hospitals, major specialty care uh, centers uh, throughout the United States are heavily dependent on Medicaid. Why? Because a large portion of all the kids are dependent on Medicaid. And so if you begin cutting Medicaid or getting real fancy with how you're going to reimburse Medicaid, these facilities could be hurt. And these facilities depend uh, heavily on the quality of Medicaid reimbursement. Just imagine what would a trauma center for rich kids look like. They would have great looking scrubs and great equipment and they'd be sitting around watching TV. But if um, a congressman's grandchild um, was hit by a car or got cancer, they're going to wind up in a facility that in order to maintain quality has experience, has enough patient volume, has enough resources to invest and take care of kids with these very special requirements, they're going to want their grandkid in a facility that sees lots of patients with cancer or trauma. And where are those places? Those are places that depend heavily on Medicaid reimbursement. That's a fascinating point and one that I think is probably getting lost a bit in the, the public discourse right now. So let's turn our attention to sort of the current state of policy about health care here in the United States. As we all know, there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding what the U.S. government will support in terms of health care in the years to come. Um, Dr. Chamberlain, do you want to start us off talking a bit about uh, what the proposed changes are as they stand currently and how they might affect uh, both your, your patients and, and children around the country? Sure. We are really at a crossroads at a really important time for coverage for children in this country. Uh, Medicaid uh, was established as an entitlement, uh, which means that as much demand as there is, that those services are provided. So during times of economic downturn, for example, in the recent Great Recession, as more children went from being privately insured to publicly insured, uh, the system responded and covered them because it's an entitlement. So it is able to respond to need based on economic shifts. 
the things that are being considered right now in Washington would be to fundamentally change this basic entitlement and move it from an entitlement structure to what's called a block grant structure. And that means that instead of it responding to this need, uh, that states would be given a certain amount of funding to care for these families and that it would be capped. It's, it is a certain amount and that is that, regardless of um, what is needed. One of the big concerns about block grants is how they grow over time. Um, and the anticipation, depending on how it's established, is that the cost of caring for children uh, would exceed the rate at which the Medicaid uh, budget would rise. And so it is, an, in essence, a cost containment system. Uh, but over time, over the course of 10 years, we would anticipate having uh, much less than is needed to care for families and children uh, who are low income today. Uh, so this is a, a very very important time uh, to contemplate shifting from an entitlement to a block grant structure. It could really, in 10 years, we may not even recognize uh, what the system of care for, for low-income children looks like. Uh, we may remember these days very differently because um, it could be quite unrecognizable. It, it's also important to point out that cutting Medicaid costs now may dramatically increase cost across not only the whole healthcare system later on, but across education and implications for productivity as children grow, develop, and wind up in the workforce. Um, you may cut Medicaid costs because you eliminate the ability of young kids to get eyeglasses. Okay. Well, what are the implications of a third grader who can't see? Um, it's dramatic, and we all know that. And a lot of child health is, and child health care provision is preventive. Uh, immunizations, uh, behavioral, developmental support, and, and interventions. Um, cutting these kinds of long-term uh, preventive uh, capabilities and interventions doesn't make a lot of economic sense, much less uh, sense in terms of trying to develop uh, a healthy um, population of children and young adults. The other thing is that we know now that the health and well-being of young children is likely to be expressed much later in life as well. And by providing and managing risks and health problems early in life is likely to have enormous benefits. Uh, for health and well-being later in life where the real costs begin to really add up. The other issue to remember is that kids are cheap. Um, we talk about all these million-dollar kids and kids with really significant problems, and they do have significant health needs. Um, but less than 10% of all federal health expenditures are on children. And you would think that that would liberate us to just say, let's just take care of kids. It doesn't really cost anything. But you could add up all the kids who are preemie babies who wind up in neonatal intensive care, stay there for six months, add up the cost for all of those kids across the United States. It's a rounding error for Medicare. It makes no difference to cutting federal expenditures. In essence, it should free us to do what's right and to do what makes sense for kids. But because of the political dynamics, because they are so politically vulnerable, young families, young adults with kids are the most vulnerable. Um, 
that uh, the expectation, the worry is that these Medicaid cuts are going to fall heavily on young families and families particularly with kids with significant health problems. And that's what makes this not only an economic issue, a health issue, but a justice issue. The death of any child is always a tragedy, but the death of any child from preventable causes is always unjust. That this blends into questions about what kind of society do we want to have. And while people in Washington are looking at billions, if not trillions of dollars over the long term, complex programs like Medicaid and Medicare, there are some bottom lines that are fundamentally moral and are choices that we need to make that transcend questions of cost and economics. And in many ways, as pediatricians, we see the ultimate expression of how these decisions will ultimately be made. Okay, so we've painted a picture, I think, of concern over the ways in which we might uh, cause problems for children's health care going forward. Um, but let's finish on perhaps a more optimistic note. Uh, what recommendations would you make to ensure that kids are going to get the care they need in the coming years? Uh, if, you were, if you were in charge of this whole situation, uh, what would you do? Dr. Chamberlain, you want to start us off? I think it's really important that we have conversations about uh, the unique needs of children and how this is a good investment uh, for our country. So I think starting on the same uh, place there is, is really important. I think that one interesting idea that's being discussed is the idea of um, a kid fix, this idea of bringing the children's healthcare delivery system out of the larger, larger conversation is, is one way to go to look at the spending on pediatric research, pediatric pharmacy, pediatric care, pediatric education, all the different funding streams that support the pediatric systems. And would it make sense to, because in the bigger picture it is overall less expensive, carve that into one comprehensive um, uh, program at some level. Uh, so that would be something that would be quite uh, different and something that I think is worth at least discussing um, on a more less revolutionary level, uh, talking about the importance of Medicaid for children. Medicaid is uh, pays for not only the care of low-income children, but also long-term care for adults. Those are very different populations that are encapsulated within the same program. So having very thoughtful conversations about how the changes to Medicaid might affect those different populations differently, um, I think is, is really important. So I think to ensure the care for kids, the conversation needs to focus on the unique needs of children um, and protect at its essence this regionalized system of care that has evolved over the last 40 years and led to great pediatric triumphs in many ways that uh, I'm afraid maybe we've come to take for granted. Uh, that system is not set in stone and without real vigilance and understanding of the facts that underlie it, uh, we risk unraveling it. Twice. Nobody's for child death. I've yet to meet a conservative Republican who is for child death. I've yet to meet a progressive Democrat uh, who's for child death. Um, that suggests that there is some room for uh, developing a consensus of how we should approach these issues in the United States. The danger now is not that somebody's going to put forward legislation 
targeting children. It's the vulnerability is related to the inattention that policymakers um, have to the special requirements of pediatric child health systems, that the whole thing could unravel. 40 years of modern pediatrics could unravel because of inattention to the special requirements of child health systems. Merely applying adult health systems to children will kill kids, simply put. And our hope is that by elevating these concerns, by having um, policymakers, advocates, and parents um, aware of what's at stake, how vulnerable these systems are, that we can help provide a political context that will build a consensus that will uh, seize opportunities for reform, for greater efficiency, which I'm sure could be um, can occur, um, greater autonomy perhaps at the state level to meet state needs, but at the same time protect exactly what works and what is special about child health systems in the United States. That to me is both a hope and uh, a commitment to try to elevate these discussions in ways that ultimately will serve the people we most care about. All right. Thank you both very much, Dr. Paul Wise, Dr. Lisa Chamberlain. We will hope that uh, these recommendations uh, move forward and that we will be able to continue uh, serving children's care in the United States the way we have done successfully so far. Thank you both very much for joining us today. Thanks for listening to World Class from the Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies at Stanford University. Follow us on Twitter at FSI Stanford or visit our website at fsi.stanford.edu for more events and expertise from the world of international studies.